Our scripture reading for today comes from the book of Philippians chapter 2, starting with the third verse. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of this word today. Amen. Well, as I was growing up, there was something that my parents, my mom in particular, felt very, very strongly about as she raised my brother and I, and that was the importance of a good thank you note. Do I have thank you note people? Some thank you note people. We exist. Often in my family, we were not allowed to play with the toy or to cash the check until the thank you note had been dropped in the mail. Yeah, mm-hmm. And my, my theology of heaven isn't actually this, but um, I, many of you know that uh, my mom passed away before I got married, and I, I thought for a second, like, hmm, maybe I can get away with not writing the thank you notes. And I thought, maybe, maybe not, because a lightning bolt from heaven is going to strike me down. And I don't think that's actually how heaven works, but I did write the thank you notes. I think Garrett even wrote some of them, right? He had to. <laughs> So there was one time, if anybody's ever been to our house, uh, we have this, it's old, it's an antique, we have this china hutch that has been moved, you know, I'm an itinerant Methodist pastor, so I move around, and you can break almost anything in our house, I wouldn't care about it, but that china hutch, like, I say to the movers, you break this hutch, I'm going to break you. But one of the reasons, because it was a centerpiece of our childhood, and um, it tended to be, and still kind of is, sorry, Garrett, the place where, like, stuff accumulates. So I remember once in my childhood, my mom had sent me to look for a, a new roll of scotch tape, and she said, go look in the china hutch. There are drawers in it. And I opened the china hutch. As I was rooting through all the stuff, I found three thank you notes that my brother and I had written that she didn't mail. <laughs> she didn't mail them. So again, this is not actually how I think heaven works. But like, come on, Mom, I'm still not over it, clearly. <laughs> but as we heard Pastor Brian read this scripture lesson, this, uh, this scripture passage from the book of Philippians, this is Paul writing a letter to people in Philippi. And all this is, this whole book, it's a big thank you note. It's a big thank you note. Through a man named Epaphroditus, they had sent a financial gift to Paul. And towards the end of this letter, we hear Paul write to them, It was kind of you to share in my distress. You Philippians indeed know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs more than once. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that accumulates to your account. 
I have been paid in full and have more than enough. I have been fully satisfied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. So here's the thing. After Epaphroditus brings this gift to Paul, uh, if we would keep reading in the book of Philippians, just a few verses after the, the passage for today, we would read that Epaphroditus became very ill. And Paul says he was ill to the point where he almost died. And somehow the people in Philippi had gotten word that their friend, their colleague, somebody that they cared very deeply about was sick and almost dead. And he recovered, and somehow the faithful in Philippi knew that even though they were worried about him, that they would be in ministry with him again. And they knew that because of this letter that Paul sent to them. He wrote to them to say thank you and to say that their brother, their friend, their colleague, their sibling in Christ was recovered. Now Paul had met these people in Philippi on his second missionary journey and he saw the followers of Jesus there as his partners in ministry. He not only wanted to say thank you, but he wanted to maintain the partnership. He wanted to stay in ministry with them. Now, he might have just gone to tell them all of these things, but he couldn't because he was either writing from prison or from some circumstance akin to a house arrest. And so this letter carries weight. It carries gravity. And in the very opening of this letter, we hear Paul say to the people of Philippi, Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he asked those who receive his message to make his joy complete. And this happens when followers of Jesus are, as Paul writes, of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now that I, I learned when I was writing a thank you note, that you should thank somebody not only for the gift but for the spirit behind the gift. And I hear that in what Paul is saying. This is not Paul encouraging them to start something new. This is not Paul telling them to fix a problem. This is Paul saying, keep doing what you're doing. Paul is appealing for unity. But it sounds like the people of Philippi have a pretty good start. But maybe, just maybe, there is something that they can add in to make their community stronger. Along with unity, Paul appeals to them for humility. We heard Pastor Brian start out by saying that believers should be known not for selfish ambition or conceit, but by humility. Paul understands humility as esteeming others and their interests more highly than one's own concerns. Thinking lowly of oneself, as Paul defines it, is grounding in the way that Jesus humbled himself even to the point of crucifixion. Now this stands in very stark contrast to the Roman culture around them. Honor-seeking was prevalent among the Roman people. Paul had seen it play out, this course of honor, which was the way of upward mobility and aspiration. If we were articulating it today, we might call it hustle culture. But instead, it's almost as though Paul is saying, try downward mobility for a change. 
This way of relinquishing motive and honoring others is how he articulated Jesus' presence in the world. It was this honoring of others that ultimately got people to start calling Jesus Lord. And if you recall, what honked off the Romans enough to crucify him was the fact that people were calling Jesus Lord. Because the Roman people only knew one Lord, and that Lord was Caesar. And keep in mind that all of this is a thank you note. Paul isn't trying to put them down, and in fact, he doesn't want them to put themselves down either. Instead, he's reminding them that the individualistic quest for status and honor are contrary to the spirit of Christ, and they are harmful to the building of community. Now, if you would look at verses 1 through 4 of chapter 2, grammatically, and remember, I'm not a Greek scholar. I never claim to be. I'm just adept at reading the amazing work of other Greek scholars. These verses, 1 through 4 in Greek, they read as one long, continual run-on sentence. So this makes Paul's appeal cohesive. Unity and humility are inseparable. True humility, as Paul defines it, is not measured by a low self-evaluation, but by the ways that concern for others is demonstrated. So it's not a mistake that as we begin to talk about our vision for the future and the mission that we'll focus on to get there, that we start with this union, this marriage of, excuse me, I might sneeze, of unity and humility. And these things can't be separated from each other. Isn't it how it works? The second you say you're going to sneeze, it goes away. Maybe I should have said that two paragraphs ago. This is what makes Paul's appeal completely cohesive, though. We can't separate the call to unity and the way that we need to be humble in doing so. True humility, as Paul defines it, is not thinking like the, we're the scum of the earth. It's thinking more highly of someone than we think of ourselves. It's not a mistake that as we keep talking, that we get to keep talking about what we're already doing. This is how we are echoing Paul. An inclusive community is a big part of what we do. It's who we are and how we hope to exist toward the future. We're not perfect in it, and any church that claims to be perfect in it is probably not one you want to be in. Inclusive community values and affirms each individual as a beloved child of God, recognizing the inherent worth and dignity of every single person. So if Paul is telling us to have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus, I think it checks out. And so as we work to do that, we have to think, who was it that Jesus was hanging out with? How was he spending his time? How was he existing in ministry? Well, he was hanging out with people whose lives and jobs were a bit unsavory. He touched people that were sick enough in body and in spirit that no one else came near them. He called people into ministry who had very little resource and experience. And he not only accepted, but indeed relied upon the gifts of those who didn't seem to have much else to offer the society. He relied on the sustenance of those gifts. 
Inclusive community actively works to break down barriers and create a space where community is built and where all can thrive and grow in their faith journey. In such a space, people find not only a sense of belonging, but also the richness of deep relational connections with others that propel them forward in their personal growth and in their spiritual growth. This isn't self-degradation. Humility is not self-loathing. Humility is instead valuing what we bring together more than what I can bring on my own. And conversely, and you can brace yourself for a little bit of discomfort here, that means that what you expect to receive for yourself is not nearly as important as what the community receives as a result. Yes, there will be some times that some things in this community will benefit you, benefit you, they'll make you comfortable, they'll make you happy, they'll make you fulfilled. But sometimes something that you love and care for and indeed hope to see continue no longer serves the community in its fullness. Does that make it any less valuable to who we are? Absolutely not. But does it mean that we need to instead empower those who may not have received such value in the past? Absolutely. And I'm not pretending that that's an easy or a comfortable thing to hear, and it's not going to get easier. And perhaps I might push a button as I keep going here. Inclusive community, a gathering of, of those who are committed to collectively and individually humbly imitating Christ, it's not an agenda. Oftentimes when we talk about inclusion, people start saying that it's some sort of agenda. It's not. It's not a liberal agenda. It's not a conservative agenda. It's not an agenda at all. It's simply the way that we follow Jesus. And by that I mean that inclusive community is an atmosphere of respect and mutual understanding. We will do our best to be a space and community where open dialogue and listening are encouraged and where diverse perspectives and experiences are not only tolerated but are valued. But in order for that to become true, it means that we have to continually work to have the same mind in us that is in Christ Jesus. And that mind is one that understood what it was to be lonely. Jesus understood what it was to be isolated and cast aside. And not only did he understand that, he centralized it. Inclusive community means that we will remain committed to reconciliation and healing as we work towards resolving conflicts and addressing past hurts. We will seek to create an environment of restoration, which means dismantling the barriers that keep other people out and working for justice. And quite honestly, you can hold whatever viewpoint you want in this space, as long as you can, with integrity and faithfulness, join in that work. The challenge becomes that humility bit. And I think this is precisely why Paul holds unity and humility together. Sometimes inclusive community means that you won't get what you want. It sometimes means that you need to let someone else be the fullest and truest version of themselves, even if you don't understand. It means sometimes listening more than you talk. 
And it means sometimes asking questions instead of demanding answers. Now, I'm not going to sugarcoat things for you. In my time here, which is four and a half years if you're keeping score at home, there have been people who have left because they are not ready to surrender the priority of self for the Christ-imitative community that we're consistently trying to become. And does it hurt? It does. I had one couple graciously and respectfully meet with me in my office to articulate their reasons for leaving. They tearfully stated that they felt immense grief over their decisions, but they felt as though their convictions would not budge in the matters of inclusion. And with great respect, I told them that it's not in our future to change this direction. And while I hoped that they could find their place here, because I do truly believe that there was and is a place for them here, if they needed to journey elsewhere in faith, that we would send them with our blessing. It doesn't make it hurt any less for them, for us. But we're committed to full inclusion. And listen, there are some who think, yeah, this love and acceptance and inclusion and making space stuff is all well and good, but what about repentance? What about dogma? What about order? What about the rules? Here's the thing that I keep thinking about. The only time that Jesus got into religious debates and religious arguments was with religious people in religious places. And when people needed to be included, when people needed to be valued, when people needed to be heard, when people needed to be seen and loved and healed, that's not the place for religious arguments. That's when Jesus is the most tender and caring to humbly imitate Christ means that we seek to model that tenderness, the love and acceptance that Jesus demonstrated in not only his ministry, but also in his death and resurrection. We believe that each of us, each and every one of us, carries within us the capacity to embody Jesus' teachings of love and compassion and inclusion. And so as we embark not only on this process of casting our vision and living into it with our mission, I hope that you'll hear all of this work, not just the preaching, but the teaching and the sharing and see it in our living as sort of a thank you note echoing Paul. This isn't a scolding for us on what's been going wrong or what we need to do better. No, this is a thank you note for all that has been started in the love of Jesus through Linworth United Methodist Church. It's an encouragement to keep living fully in community and always trying humbly to imitate Jesus. Amen.